Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on June 26, 2022, the third Sunday after Pentecost. Next week, we will be at Turner Park. That is the park that's this side of town, out by the care center. We'll be gathering under the shelter house, regular time, 9 a.m., and then we will have our coffee and fellowship afterwards. So, Turner Park on July 3rd. Looking ahead a little bit, July 27th, we're going to have a family fun night here. Also, well, no, it's not here. It's at Turner Park. And details for that are shaping up. We finally agreed, at least on a night. I believe that's a Wednesday night. Okay. Community events, uh, take note of those things that are happening in the coming month. And is there anything, Mary, that you'd like to have highlighted?
God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, you have built your church upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Grant us so to be joined together in the unity of spirit by their teaching, that we may made a holy temple acceptable to you, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Let us join together in our opening hymn, number 15. Protect me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord, my good above all other. But those who run after other gods shall have their troubles multiplied. O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. It is you who uphold my lot. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart teaches me night after night. I have set the Lord 
my heart, therefore, is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see the pit. Good morning. The first reading is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 and 16 and 19 through 21. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king of Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel Meholah, as prophet in your place. So he set out from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were twelve yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. Then Elijah said to him, Go back again for what I have done to you. He returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen, and slaughtered them using the equipment from the oxen. He boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. The second reading, the epistle, is Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 13 through 25. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. However, you bite and devour one another. Take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Please rise for the gospel. The gospel comes to us from Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And he sent his messengers ahead of him. And on their way, they entered a village of Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When the disciple James saw it and John, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down and consume them? He turned and rebuked them, saying, they went on to another village. As they were going along, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Gospel. You may be seated. Let us pray. God of grace, God of glory, we ask that you would continue to lead us through this season where we contemplate the works of the Spirit. But let it not just be a head exercise. Let it be one that animates our very being. That the words that we contemplate in this space and in this form would take flight in us and would lead us to make new connections and to accomplish things under your auspicious care. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us as we try to convey a sense of your love into this world. In your name we pray. Amen. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. That is the paraphrase from the Galatians passage that we have before us today. Two weeks ago, I referenced that exact passage as we were speaking about Trinity Sunday and how Jesus promised to give his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit that would animate them and keep them accountable to the words that Jesus taught them while he was teaching and doing his ministry among them. That same spirit is accessible to each and every one of us as we incline our ears and understanding to, to hear that spirit. So using this fancy language, Paul makes an appeal to the Galatians and dare I say us contemporary Christians, to think about this contrast between human nature and our spiritual calling. 
For Paul, they are not the same thing. They are in opposition to one another. Now, we might not always believe that. We might think it is our human nature to become people of faith, to be called to the church, but trust me, I don't think anyone voluntarily and willingly chooses this path. I do believe that you have to be led because it requires a presence of mind to understand that when we connect our lives to the message of Christ, there are going to be things, desires, wants, that we're going to have to abandon in order for that spiritual framework to sort of take root in our lives. We have to sort of jettison a sense of self-involvement in order that the work of God can pass through us. This is what Jesus was constantly trying to remind his disciples. Do not think of your own accord. Do not think of your own regard. It's even referenced today in the gospel, which I'm not going to get into, but Jesus is trying to call individuals and the, the pull and the demands of earthly responsibilities keep tugging back at them. I have to go and bury my father. I have to go and say goodbye to those who are at my family. Jesus is like, you're not serious. I'm asking you to do this great and bold thing, and you find some ex- Nothing has changed, Jesus. People still find excuses. The scant attendance we have today, and I'm sure we're not the only church that uh, has a few open spaces. So the excuses that people conjure up to keep from pursuing God's call are alive and well, even unto this day. Many years ago, many years ago now, I attended a annual gathering of the National Association of Congregational Christian Churches. And the theme for that gathering, I think this was the one that was in Lansing, Michigan, was faith, fellowship, and freedom. These are the three, if any of you have been around congregationalists for a while, congregationalists are big on faith, fellowship, and freedom. I mean, it's just like they practically have that um, embroidered on their lapels. That is, that is what congregationalists are all down for, faith, fellowship, and freedom. So the keynote speaker decided to walk us through these things because these are the tenets of congregationalism that it doesn't matter what first congregational church you go to, because they all seem to be named first congregational. I don't know how it is. I've never served a church that wasn't called a first congregational, from Anchorage to L.A. to out here to El Cater to McGregor. They're just all first congregationals. We're not very imaginative when it comes to church names, but we're big on faith, fellowship, and freedom. So the keynote speaker was saying, you know, these, these tenants that we have, he says this is a tremendous opportunity for us to be able to celebrate these things. First of all, Congregationalists pride themselves on not being a creedal church. We do have creeds. You can find the apostles in the Nicene Creed. We're not big on the Athanasius Creed because it goes on for days. But, but we, we call ourselves a covenantal church. Before communion, I always invite us to say together our church's covenant, which is found in the front cover of our hymnal. And this covenant is an agreement that we, as partners in the faith, like to recite because it demonstrates that even though we come in through these doors with different religious experiences and perhaps maybe even raised in different denominations, we covenant together with the hopes that this man, Jesus, will still be able to speak words into our life, words that will animate us, words that will allow us to bless 
this world and our own respective gifts and talents. So this faith that Congregationalists like to celebrate is something of a covenantal nature. And that's where the fellowship aspect comes in because we do not walk alone, but we walk with other partners, other brothers and sisters in this faith. So I think that we have an understanding that, first of all, what, what is our charge? What is our responsibility? Our charge is to be observant to the teachings of Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to worship like Jesus. And then I believe that we also have this accountability to one another, the fellowship aspect of our faith, to be able to bear one another's burdens, to walk along one another in faith so we can both bolster and keep accountable our members of the of the, the church, of the community. But it's this freedom aspect. It's this freedom aspect that can often gum up the nature of the workings of ministry in congregationalist churches. Now, the keynote speaker, and I forget who it was at the time, so I won't even reference any names, but I do distinctly remember that he slowed, I remember that it was a he. <laughs> I do remember that part. But he said, I want us to just think for a moment about the freedom aspect that we speak about in our faith. He said it's not a freedom from. Because many people like to use their faith as a cudgel to ward off anyone that they don't want in their houses of worship, in their worshiping spaces, any undesirable individuals due to lifestyle choices or not enough scratch. And there's that sense in which churches are notorious for prejudging individuals, for seeing if you have enough of what we want or what we need or what, we, or what direction we think we want to go before we're going to truly welcome you. So he says we have to be careful about this freedom aspect. This is not a freedom to avoid. He said it is a freedom to engage. Now this freedom that the keynote speaker at the conference was speaking about, this stems directly from Paul's invitation here in Galatians. This freedom to observe is an opportunity by which we are set free in Christ. And it is not when we are set free to serve in Christ, this is not a call to alienate or abandon. It is, is it a, it is a call to welcome and invite, to draw individuals into this covenant and into this promise. Any church that would dare to use this as a means to exclude, to write new chapters of a very, very narrow worldview is misunderstanding and abusing the very term and the very liberty for which I think Christ called us into a new existence and a new reality. So Paul is using the words of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus as a springboard, as a springboard to minister to the Galatians and anyone else who would, who would come across his words. The faithful are called forth in freedom to engage in service and involvement. That is the heart of, of church. There's no other reason. There's literally no other reason to form a church if there's not going to be some inclination that the words and the prayers and the feelings that we conjure and generate in worship cannot resonate and impact our communities. Self-involved, self-absorbed congregations they exist. I've witnessed them. I've been in them. 
but they don't affect change. What they do is they hang on to a treasure and they hoard it and they don't share it. And we can make every distortion of, of scripture, trust me, it's, it's been done. But if somehow the powerful message of Christ does not get out into the world, this call to service, this call to uplift, this call to unbind the captives, both physically, but also mentally. If our ministry does not advance and promote a sense of inclusivity, welcome, and pardon, then I think it's void. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous uh, for churches to dabble in things that actually close down the possibilities of people's existence and imagination rather than promoting those things. Because I think that, I think Jesus cultivated a sense of imagination and possibility in those who heard him and those who encountered them. He didn't leave people infirmed. He set them free from their infirmities. He didn't close their eyes, he opened their eyes. He didn't make them lame. He set them free so they could walk and engage the world. And if we are going to be the followers of an individual who gave the full force of God freely to those he was ministering, then it seems only natural that we should continue in that same vein. However, I do have, I do have a concern that I want to share with you today, and, and it's, this is when my philosophical training kind of jumps in, so Feel free to let your eyes glaze over if, uh, if the point I'm about to make just doesn't resonate with you. We won't be here very long. <laughs> Paul uses the term, let me just go over it again. For the, this is verse 14 of chapter 5. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All right, now this is, this is the bone of contention that I'm going to just throw out at you today because this has been something that's been I've been struggling with recently not personally but recently as a as a as a professional uh, consideration the golden rule used to resonate with me do unto others as you would have them do unto you but I have to say in recent years it's become increasingly problematic for me now I'm going to explain that love your neighbor as yourself now I do not know what the emotional and mental states were in the first century and I have no idea how well people regarded themselves or how keen they were to care for themselves. The gospel doesn't talk about these things. Acts of the Apostles does not talk about these things. So I have no idea what the framework was for people's understanding of themselves, what their esteem was like. We don't get that. But there's been much that's been made of personal self-esteem and well-being and body image issues and this sort of uh, emotional and mental dysmorphia that's been manufacturing. So this, this term, and I hear it with contemporary ears now, this term of loving neighbors as self is problematic for me because it's one of the few sayings of Jesus that I can no longer hear objectively. Oh, I understand it. I get the thrust of it. And I understand the whole concept that we are called to value our existence and that we are called to experience 
our gifts and wisdom as gifts of God. However, I've seen just enough evidence it's no longer a cut and dry argument. And the reality of those who actually hate their existence, who do not want to live their life anymore, find life burdensome, is for me no longer a basis for building a community of faith. We've all met someone at some point in our lives who does not like themselves. Maybe it's due to depression. Maybe it's due to just a series of misfortunes that have been visited upon them. Life has been burdensome, and as a result, their minds have been reprogrammed in such a way, and just to greet the day is hard for them. I don't want to be loved by people who can't bring themselves to love themselves. They're incapable. Things have been arrayed against them. I mean, I understand what Jesus was trying because he is basically saying the temple of God is within you. But unless we believe that, we can't act on the basis of that. So here's what I want. I'm proposing, dare I say, I'm proposing that perhaps maybe we reframe this because the words of Scripture are the words of Scripture, even though they've been hashed over plenty over time. That's not my domain, but if you want to go into depth, talk with Bonnie Cruz. She will tell you um, how our sacred Scriptures have been, shall we say, manipulated. <laughs> That's a kind way to put it. But to clarify, perhaps we should dare to love our neighbors better than we love ourselves. For me, that leaves a little bit more ceiling. So that way, if you already have a pretty healthy self-esteem of yourself, if you enjoy getting up, if you, if you can look in the mirror and say, not bad, even though it's aging, it's not bad, <laughs> right? If you can still find some, some measure of yourself to present to the world, then the love that you have to give in God's name is going to be received tenfold by another. However, loving someone better than we love ourselves even leaves room for those who have a depressed and weary spirit, for those who are poor in spirit, as the Beatitudes say. Because then those who can scarcely frame a, a kind word for themselves to love someone better than they love themselves still leaves a little bit of room for even a modicum of tolerance. But we've seen some pretty dangerous behavior that people have dished out of late on one another. We're not just talking merely about the, the shootings that have happened. I mean, obviously, that's a, that's a whole level of carnage that it's going to take some time for any of us to wrap our minds around. I'm just talking about the insincere things people have said. In the past two years, some of us have probably lost good friends and had partitions between us and relatives over political issues, over maybe theological issues, maybe even over dietary issues. You used to enjoy steak. What happened to you? I'm like, well, my cardiologist uh, said different. So... And we struggled with that. We struggled with the conversations that used to flow with such ease. Now they've become strained to the point where we just don't have those conversations anymore. And this is not to say that we don't love these individuals. We just keep their company less. 
And by keeping their company less allows us to at least love them a little bit. But if we keep their company too much and they continue on with that, with that, that din that doesn't set well with our ears, we're going to come to not love them. And we will not be able to fill uh, both Paul and Jesus' invitation to try to love our neighbors as ourselves. Maybe in the past two years, there's been some emotional distortion in our own lives, and we're starting to wonder who we've become, who we've become in relationship to changes that have been visited upon us by forces beyond our control. And maybe our faith has been the only touchstone that makes sense or it has brought us back to the center and has allowed us to be able to believe and to trust in humanity once again. I know it has been for me. That, pets, wilderness, those have been restorative. But there has to be something that's in our lives that allow us to realize that as people of faith, we're going to have to share the planet. <laughs> With individuals whose opinions are diametrically opposed to us, people who seem obstinate, people who seem carried away in strange notions. But Paul yet is still speaking to us. Because Paul says very plainly, there is a choice set before us. We can pursue our own human desires, or we can lean on the Spirit's understanding. And the Spirit's always going to call us to be in fellowship with one another, which means we're going to have to learn how to live with one another, which means we're going to have to learn new talking points. We're going to have to find a way to not hear everything as a challenge to fight, as an argument, as a proving ground as the last stand. I don't know what's going on in houses of faith. I think I know what's going on in this house of faith, and I think each week when I see individuals gather here, I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to keep it together. We're trying to keep together shreds of decency, our humanity, we're trying to preserve our identity. We're trying to not see one another as enemies. We're trying to understand how individuals can hold opinions that are dramatically different from ours, but yet we still can do things with them. We can still have them out for a meal. We can still share a laugh together. My God, have we forgotten how to laugh? Paul's words come at a particularly poignant time in our nation's history, but also in our world's history as well. When the polarities seem so egregious that they're almost insurmountable and we can't see beyond them. But if we could, we would realize that we are still a people who, who all have the same needs. People all want to be heard, they want to be understood, they want to be loved, they want to be forgiven. This is universal. I don't care who I have met in my brief life. Those platforms of being heard, understood, loved, and forgiven have never changed with anyone I've talked to. People want to have their value recognized. They want to be thought of as having something to offer. 
Paul's invitation is us to not forget that because this is what the Spirit reminds us of. The Spirit reminds us of the God that dwells in every individual, the God that dwells in us. Paul invites us to fan that flame so it will grow. If we're going to be consumed by anything, let us be consumed by the all-encompassing love of God that says, be and do better. Invite others into that space. The fact of the matter is, is that Paul, echoing Jesus, wants the community of Christ to reach higher. Paul wants us to think differently. To think beyond the immediate satisfaction of our own personal gain and our self-preservation. Self-preservation is so hot right now. Everybody wants to preserve their own little territory, their, their own values, their own rules at the expense of anyone else. Like No one else's rules matter. Only my territory matters. Don't cross this line. And so we're so into self-preservation, it's become a sickness. Leaves no room for the community. It's only the individual will. So these two topics that presently hold sway over the contemporary church, and this stuff's starting to bleed over. Personal gain and self-preservation is bleeding into our houses of worship. And so now we don't hear about how we can be better communities. We hear about how we can be stronger individuals how we can maintain our values. I don't even know what that means. I've been a preacher for a quarter of a century. I don't know what that means. But, if it, but it sounds exclusionary to me. <laughs> and that's not lost on me. And I don't want that in my house of worship. And I don't want that in your spiritual lives. Because I think it's bankrupt. And I know it's dangerous. So here's how I see it. If we cannot bring ourselves to maintain or implement Paul's action in our faith community, if somehow we are just unwilling or unable to see the value in others, then the one thing that I pray we can do is to not stand in the way of those who do. Because there are individuals out there who do want to love, who do want to understand, who do want to fashion communities where individuals actually care about one another. And so we cannot sabotage those who are out there trying to do this work of Christ. And I hope that is us. And there will be people who will tell us, why bother? Why, why bother with those people? Why put your time and effort and why direct your resources into those? They cannot be helped. They cannot be saved. That's fatalistic thinking. And fatalistic thinking kills communities of faith from the inside out. If we start feeling as if somehow our life has no hope, has no meaning, I don't care what I preach, I don't care how effectively I preach it, I don't care how many times you do Bible study, if you are already dead inside, this message will not resonate. Call it a day. But I'm not going to let you go out like that. Mm -mm. If I have to use every antic that's in my kit, if I have to come with every bad dad joke, if I have to be silly and run around the sanctuary, if I have to throw myself in the way of the door so you can't leave without hearing how much God loves you and how much God values what you bring to this world, I'm going to do it. I've done worse. I've done sillier. But now is the time for people who come to church, who, who still have that wherewithal, who still believe in worship, to hear about how important you are to the development of this ministry, not the ministry of First Congregational, 
but the ministry of the church, the church that, that Christ came to fashion. And I don't want Paul's words to be lost on us because we got jerked one way or another by whatever the hype is of the moment. Because God is bigger than that. So this is how I've come to understand Paul's invitation. To choose between the desires of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. He hints that the decision has always been and will always be up to us. Whether we see this venture called ministry, whether it flourishes or perishes, that's, that's, that's on each and every one of us. As far as Paul is concerned, only those who are pursuing the fruits of the Spirit are laying forth the groundwork for a healthy community. So we have to understand ourselves. Doing um, a self-inventory, a spiritual inventory, even if you like, literally have to put things down on a page to just kind of find out and to think about what, is, what drives you spiritually, what motivates you, what is it. You know, think about the times when you pray. Do you pray mostly when you're in distress? Do you find yourself giving praise and thanks only when something goes your way or when something goes away for a relative unknown? How do we recognize blessings in the world? Only when they happen to us? Or when we see them unfold in our community. Or when they land on our political target. How expansive is our spiritual reach? Are we willing to offer prayers to those who annoy and defy us? Praying for one's enemies. Should we even have enemies? See, we should take a spiritual inventory to kind of find out why it is we line these pews, why it is we crack this book called the Bible, and why it is we say our prayers to this, this God that we claim is going to help us navigate this wearisome world. Taking a spiritual inventory allows us to find out truly what is important to us, uh, where we want to channel our energies, and, and what we hope to convey as individuals, but also as a faith community. And Paul is saying, if we just gratify the desires of the flesh, if we are self-involved, if we are just concerned about our next score, what then becomes of the community? <laughs> if we allow the fruits of the spirit to be manifest and cultivated in us, that's always going to spill over into someone else's life. It's a different way of thinking. It's a retraining of one's mind. So I, here's what I want to do. I want you to allow your expression of faith to become the overarching principle of your daily conduct. I think I always have, but maybe I've never actually mentioned that. Maybe I've never actually stated that very clearly. But I've always hoped that people's faith would would be the defining principle behind our actions. People say it is, but if the actions that we see unfolding really are representing people's faith, then I'm chilled. I am chilled because any faith that creates excessive divisions, I don't subscribe to that. 
So I, I think you just need to know that because if you do, then you know maybe, maybe I'm not your pastor. Maybe I'm not the pastor for you. And I feel like pastors need to actually say these things because so often we soft shoe around because you know why? We're afraid that our quality of life, our cost of living, uh, our, our creature comforts are going to change because people vote with their dollars. But what you want from a pastor is to hear where they're coming from and lay that in your life and say, hmm, maybe pastor's setting forth a, a challenge. Maybe pastor's trying to convict me. Maybe pastor's trying to take me to a place where I need to be to think about some things, to ask some questions. We've stopped asking questions because we think we know all the answers. A people of faith who no longer have a desire to learn have closed their ears to God. And if we've closed our ears to God, then Paul is just shouting and screaming into the void. Talking about lean on the fruits of the Spirit. Who's listening for the Spirit? I just want to invite us and whoever else catches this to listen for the spirit. And the spirit might sound diametrically opposed to what you hold as a life value. The spirit might be calling you to rethink some of the positions that you have long held. That's what the spirit does. The spirit unlocks us to say that X it's no longer X. X is not as important as Y. Because X might mean that a number of individuals do not get the benefit of our presence, the benefit of our gifts, because we have ruled them out. They are null and void to us. The Spirit always calls us into community, so we're going to have to rethink how we feel about our community and what's happening in our communities. If God can't transform us from the inside, then what we do is an empty and hollow exercise. It's just ritual. But I don't want it to be ritual. I want it to be transformational. I want us to leave church feeling as if we got to take two tablets because we got a headache because the man made us think. <laughs> or you start shopping for another church that tells you what you want to hear. There's that option as well. But I don't want to be that guy. Maybe I have been that guy in the past. Probably. Most likely. But I don't want to be that guy because I think the stakes are too high. So, good people. Paul invites us into a choice. Continue as we have, feathering our own nests and taking care of our own and taking care of the immediacy of those around us, those who are important, those who find favor in us, or think bigger. And think about how our wisdom and our gifts and our grace might fall upon those who, to use the modern term of, of uh, the parlance of our day, those who are across the aisle. Amen. Let us join together in our responsive hymn, number 514.
Please be seated. And now our time for prayer. And as we lead into prayer, I just want to let you know that I've, we've heard from Peg Poole. Peg Poole, is, uh, she usually sits right where Jim and Patty are. Um, and she's the custodian of our church. She's up in hospital right now and still undergoing tests to find out just exactly how extensive the surgery that she hopes to have on Wednesday is going to be. Uh, low blood pressure, and so they're monitoring her, and she would definitely like her church community to remember her uh, today and, and throughout this week that our prayers will connect with her health care team and all will work together for good. So prayers for Peg Pool. Let us pray. Beloved and most merciful God, we thank you for the engaging words of Scripture that cut through time, cut across time, and speak to us as poignantly as they did to those in the first century when they were first penned. But we have to hear them in the context of things that are going on in our own society and to understand that this call to, to model the behavior of your son is it's still a pressing need and a privilege that we have. So I ask that you would infuse within us plenty of time for us to sort ourselves out, to not wield our faith, fellowship, and freedom as a cudgel, to not use our badge of Christianity or being spiritual or not religious or religious and not spiritual or any of these other silly terms that people have concocted to try to pretend that they're really close to God when they're not, uh, to not use these things as exercises in ending conversations. It's not about the words and the terms and the labels. It really does boil down to what is the pattern of our life. How much do we actually care for the generations that will inherit what we've created or what we have destroyed, but how much are we modeling a sense of how best to live? How much in the pattern of our life demonstrates how much we have come to understand the ministry of your son, Jesus Christ? It's an ongoing task. And Jesus himself has said that anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. How many times have we set out for a task and then we go, oh, 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 and, and false start after false start after false start leads communities to be gutted of a spiritual presence. There are many presences in our communities, many things in our societies that are very alive and very prevalent, lots of banners and yard signs stating this or that. I mean, everyone has an opinion about something. But our actions are, our actions are very much like the ones that Paul spoke of. Seems to be only the feathering of one's own nest. The aggrandizement of the individual and not the promotion of a community that cares about everyone in the community. 
We've lost something, but it can be found. So I ask that you would at least let us be mindful of those things, of the positioning that perhaps we have lost, of the bearings that seemed to get askew because we stopped, we stopped monitoring our direction and we just sort of veered off course. <laughs> yeah. Help us to find our way again. Help us to be mindful and not to just hear what sounds good to our ears, but to always hear in stereo. To hear what's coming from the left speaker and the right speaker. To use that sort of hi-fi metaphor. And may you, God, be our sound engineer. So you can work that equalizer. So now I'm really going crazy with the metaphor. But you can work that equalizer and make it sound good to our ears. Mellowing out the high tones and the low tones and the mid tones. So we can be your people who work as a unit, not against one another. And you can show us always that there is a much larger picture than the one that's currently before us. And then the spirit comes through, keeping us accountable to all that Jesus tried to teach us. We ask that you would set your prayers upon those who are sick and suffering. We lift up to you, Peg Pohl, who is currently in hospital right now, undergoing tests. They have delayed a procedure because they're making sure that they have all the information they need to do this procedure once and get it done correctly. So we pray for Peg's entire health care team. We pray for the other patients who are in hospital. We pray for those who are in our hearts and the forefronts of our minds who are also either anticipating procedures or recovering from them. Help us to be mindful of the value of sound health. But I also want to pray for those who are, who are laid waste through depression, mental illness. We understand that these debilitating forces cause one to have a different view of self, a lower view of self. They devalue themselves as a result of the illnesses they labor underneath. May we be mindful, providing the loving support and encouragement to those who just simply find life so burdensome. May we create the kind of spaces where people can be open about their struggles and maybe even open to the invitation to finding the help that will allow them to overcome those burdens so they too can be set free from these, this bondage. But we come before you just as we are. And we ask that you would receive the prayers, joys and thanksgivings that we set before you today. Lord, in your mercy.
hear our prayers. Loving God, thank you for receiving these prayers. Collect them into your care. Remember us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us join together in our covenants. We covenant with the Lord and with one another, and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, 
to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Loving and most merciful God, you know the burdens that we are under. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the condition of our hearts and minds. You also know our capacity for love. So we ask that as you invite us into this meal, into this sacred space, into this experience, that you would raise up those things for which you would like to cultivate in us, have us share, and minimize, if not flat out eradicate, those things which only stand in the way of our ability to receive and share them. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated Passover meal with his disciples, took bread. When he had given thanks, he offered it to them, saying, this is my body, given for you. Eat and remember. shared the cup together. Jesus saying, this is the cup of the covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as we do eat of this bread and drink from the cup, we do claim the Lord's death until he comes again. Ministering to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I offer you the sacrament of holy communion. Our table is an open one. If you are wishing to receive communion, please come forward when I invite you. And we take communion via the center aisle, and we have trays for your communion cups on this side. I invite our communion assistants to come forward at this time. Our communion assistant.
Brad was sponsored by Mary Driggs. It's quite tasty. Let's put a little commercial announcement in there. It's like more, more Mary bread, please. Thank you, Mary. Let us pray. Loving most most for God, we thank you once again for your consecration and especially for your patience. We ask now that infuse us and bathe us in your love. Allow us to be mindful of the ways that we can unlock the potential in those around us that you have unlocked in us. And help us to just try to do what we can to open up the channels of peace. In your name. Let us join together in our closing hymn, number 377. Be with you now and always. Keep you and guide you in peace.